Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about the Hollywood blacklist and the big question, does it exist today? You may well be um, familiar uh, with the classic Hollywood blacklist story. It's when uh, work was denied to entertainment professionals, screenwriters, actors, directors, and so on because of their suspected political beliefs. But now the key question is that we will uh, get to <laughs> towards the end of the show is, is this just a thing of the past or does it still exist in Hollywood today? I'll give you a little hint. I think it still exists. But <laughs> today my guest is Stanley Director. He knows the real scoop about all of this because he is the author of Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, Conversations with Participants. So as he will tell you um, when I put him on my couch in a couple of minutes, um, he in fact has been in Hollywood, came to Hollywood with the Hollywood dream, wanting to be a movie star, and has um, made incredible uh, accomplishments and um, has, been, has been around talking to these participants um, and finding out what really went on during those days. And also the foreword to the book is written by Ed Asner, so that is one of the key people in Hollywood who knows all about this. So, Stanley, welcome to the show. Carol, welcome to you, welcoming me, because I'm really thrilled and honored to be on your show, and I'd like to tell you, uh, I, you know, Ed Asner is really a great guy, and he took, you know, his generosity and gave it to me to put a little introduction into my book, a little forward, which I, I really appreciate, you know, and it's very profound forward, too, I might add. Um, what can I tell you about myself? Well, you know, actually, uh, I was born, don't hold it against me, in Brooklyn, New York. I was born in the Bronx. How could I hold it against you? Oh, well, actually, uh, the Bronx and Brooklyn always had their little uh, tete-a-tete, little battles. That's true. <laughs> but I was a Dodger fan, and the Yankees were in... New York at the time, and and uh, but the thing is that uh, being brought up on the mean streets, and they were mean streets of Brownsville, Brooklyn. That was uh, uh, era before me. It was uh, known as Murder Incorporated. Okay, huh. so so I kind of uh, was able to get in uh, after that uh, decade, and some of those wise guys were still around. They weren't called wise guys in those days. They were just mobsters. <laughs> and and uh, I was befriended by uh, a number of uh, those guys while I was going to uh, uh, high school, actually. They allowed me in the bar. I, I guess I kind of became like a pet, you might <laughs> say. And they took me under their wing, and I, I was always kind of... I wanted to do something with my life. I wanted to get out of uh, Brooklyn. I didn't know how to get out of Brooklyn. Uh, I I was introduced. I, I, I by the way, I was also a, a boxer. Uh-huh. A, a, I was a. Uh, I would uh, work out at the seventy third precinct, which was in uh, Brooklyn, Brownsville, 
and I, I want to be a middleweight champion of the world, okay? Uh-huh. I really did, and, uh, and I, I was kind of really built well, and uh, I was kind of a strong kid. And I was fortunately introduced to a fellow named Georgie Small, who happened to be a middleweight contender. And he told me uh, that uh, he was going to training camp, and he invited me to go to training camp, okay? I went to training camp, and uh, we did road work and all kinds of nice, fresh air up in the Catskills in those days in an area called Smallwood, which uh, some of the boys with the crooked noses were behind in giving us a place to stay. I'm not saying that uh, Georgie was in any way crooked. I'm just saying that the boys <laughs> liked us, and so they gave us this bungalow to stay. And I got uh, quite an education uh, from Georgie, particularly uh, he introduced me to his mentor, who was supposed to be the strongest man in the world. And there's been a book written about his mentor. And uh, I, I, I met the mentor, and I expected to see somebody who was six foot five, uh, 220 pounds. Instead, I saw a short shrimp of a man who bent a spike right before my eyes and then put it between his teeth to bend it even further. Wow. And I met the mighty Adam. And all my ideas about what it was to be big and macho went out the window. Uh-huh. And I did fight, by the way, in the New York City Golden Gloves as uh-huh. a middleweight sub-novice, and I lost. Uh-huh. And that was the end of my boxing career. <laughs> you know? Okay. So then it was, so then how'd you get from that dream to be wanting to be a movie star? Well, what happened was I would go to the movies all the time, the Lois Pitkin, it was called, on uh, Pitkin Avenue, and I would watch and I would really enjoy the, the films, and I, I wished I was up there on the screen because everybody seemed to have so much fun while uh, about me in, in Brooklyn at that time, there was a lot of dissension and there was a lot of hate and there was a lot of this and there was a lot of that and I I, I really wanted a, a, a better way for myself. I had a kid brother and uh, mother and father and and so uh, I eventually joined the Navy just to get the heck out of Brooklyn. <laughs> so I, I joined the Navy, went through the usual stuff and uh, wound up in California in San Diego on an aircraft carrier, stationed mm. on an aircraft carrier, mm. and I said, i got to go to Hollywood. You know, i got to see what Hollywood is about. So in my dress blues, I think at that particular time, I hitchhiked on the Hollywood beginnings of the Hollywood freeway and went up to Hollywood, and you cannot believe this. This is like out of a, a, a storybook kind of a thing. I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard, on one of my sojourns to Hollywood. Yeah. And somebody stops me and says, you should be in the movies. I'm in oh, my sailor suit. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I mean, because it was just too close to what I was thinking. Right. And so they said, look, no, I'm legitimate. I'm legitimate. His name was Alan Connor. And uh, he had an actor in a play called The Rainmaker that was appearing at the Huntington Hartford Theater, which was uh-huh. in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And he invited me to go to the performance and see his uh, actor, Steve. 
So I went, and then Steve said, hey, you know, Alan is really a good agent, and yada, yada, yada. But here was the deal. The deal was I was still in the Navy. <laughs> and so uh, Alan had wanted me to uh, meet the casting director for a movie they were doing about the Bonnie Ross story. Now, Bonnie Ross was once the lightweight champion of the world. Huh. And uh, I, I was kind of a middleweight, but he was a lightweight champion of the world. And Alan thought that I would be perfect for Bonnie Ross. Huh. Well, by the way, in the Navy, when I was in the Navy, I would be by myself, we'll say, on the flight deck of a humongous aircraft carrier. The stars are out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I would be memorizing Clifford O'Dette's dialogue. I, I, I would be doing Waiting for Lefty. Uh, where where there there's a, a speech to uh, the cab drivers. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure there's some ladies in this sea of upturned faces. Only they're wearing pants. You know, we gotta go on strike. Yada yada yada. So so I would do all of that stuff. So eventually, I did meet the the casting director for Edward Small Productions, and I and she said, well what. You know, can you do anything for me? <laughs> can I do anything for you? <laughs> so I did my shtick, my my monologues yeah. that I memorized, and and so she was impressed. And they were going to go further. Well, okay, here's a wrinkle. Needless to say, I went back to my ship, <laughs> and we were going to Japan, <laughs> and that was the end of my. Bonnie Ross story, which eventually became the movie Monkey on His Back, which starred Cameron Mitchell as Bonnie Ross. So, I mean, that, so that was my little taste, okay? Yeah. So, cut to, I get out of the Navy. I, I, I have the GI Bill, and I say, do I want to go back to Brooklyn? Oh, God, do I want to deal with Brooklyn? And And I really didn't, because I'm there was something in me that just, I, I, I just didn't want to go back to, uh, there were a lot of bad things going on, and I, I just didn't want to yeah. be involved. So, so I decided to go to drama school, a place called the Hollywood School of Drama, which was run by Dan O'Hurlihy, who at one time was nominated for an Academy Award for Robinson Crusoe. And so Dan and his partner, Charlie Davis, ran this school, G.I. Bill School, and I joined the school. But I joined it with such intensity. So, you see, my thing was I was so obsessive-compulsive about being an actor. When I decided to, to, to study to be an actor, I wanted it to happen at that moment. So, so like a crazy person, <laughs> I said, you've got to sign me up in this school and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So... I get signed up in the school, and I'm doing acting scenes with different people, and there, there are very attractive women, uh, which uh, I am not blind, and uh, I'm a young guy, and uh, I kind of like that. I say, hey, that's pretty good, and I would be assigned to do scenes from, say, Clifford Odets. I was like a Clifford Odets guy, Golden Boy, which formerly had been a movie, but was also later on a Broadway play. Actually, it was a Broadway play first with the wrong person playing the character. But 
But oh uh, my goodness, that's the music. We we uh, we need to take a break. Okay. Um, we will we will find out what happened after this when we come back. My guest is Stanley Director. He is, and that's his last name, by the way, and it's it's spelled D Y R E C T O R. Uh, he's the author of Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist: Conversations with Participants. We're going to be coming back to that. When we come back, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking with you today about the Hollywood blacklist, Does It Exist Today? My guest is Stanley Director. He's the author of Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, Conversations with Participants. Now, we've been following so far Stanley's, uh, Stanley's trip, you know, the, the sort of all-American dream. Um, people have different American dreams, but Stanley's was one that a lot of people have, which was to be a movie star, and he came to Hollywood and you had this amazing, you were telling us about, it's like uh, it's like the drugstore, you know, being uh, discovered in a drugstore. And even though that didn't, you know, because you were still in the Navy, that didn't uh, end up right. in a starring role. Still, it gave you the taste that made you keep on going. So when we left, um, you were in drama school. Yeah, I was in drama school, and I happened to be assigned a scene with, a, with a, an actress named Judy Rose. And I was also working on a gas station on... Uh, Alvarado and Beverly Boulevard, which is in uh, Midtown Los Angeles, and Judy uh, said, uh, do the scene with me. I did the scene with her, and then she said to me, hey, listen, do you want to go to the Academy Awards? Uh, my mother is nominated for an huh. Academy Award, and I said, yeah, yeah sure, but i got to be at the gas, you know, gas station at uh, midnight, and she said, well, you know, don't worry about it. So we went in a limousine to the Academy Award. Uh, Judy Rose's mother was Helen Rose, who wrote the, uh, who actually uh, designed the costumes for Designing Woman, starring Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Helen Rose lost to 
of course, Edith Head, uh, who always won. And uh, I went back to the gas station at at 11.30 after the Oscars at at Judy Rose's house in Beverly Hills, Helen Rose's house. I I had to get in my dumpy Ford and Mm -hmm. rush down to the gas station. And at midnight, pump gas and tell customers, hey, you know, I was at the Academy Awards (laughs) tonight and they looked at me like I was a madman. (laughs) Okay, I'll cut to... Uh, eventually, uh, I, as an actor, I, I was doing okay for a while, did leads opposite uh, Lee Marvin, etc. And then, the, like, the f- things fell out of uh, context and this and that. And uh, I started to um, drive uh, people around, and uh, an, a- an agent I was with uh, told me there's this uh, writer who has bad eyes, needs a driver, uh, would you do it? So I went over, saw the um, writer, his name was Leonard Praskins. I I, I had no idea who the heck he was, but I discovered later that uh, he had written uh, the dialogue for a movie called The Champ. He wrote the dialogue. Mm. However, he did not win the Academy Award. Francis Marion won the Academy Award, for writing the story of The Champ, which starred Wallace Beery and Jackie Cooper. So, uh, anyway, I worked with Leonard for a while, and then uh, I, uh, eventually, whatever, I said, I, I want to write my own thing. So I wrote plays and things like that, and uh, and uh, what happened was, uh, at the Writers Guild, uh, by the way, through Leonard Praskins, may he rest in happiness, uh, I was able to join the Writers Guild because we wrote a wagon train together. We wrote uh, Slattery's People. We wrote a bunch of shows in that era. And then uh, we were offered uh, Tammy which, when it went to television. And I didn't want to do it. I became idealistic or whatever, and I wrote a play about a, a soldier who didn't want to go to, uh, who didn't want to kill the Vietnamese people and all this kind of stuff and so I wrote this play and eventually I started to uh, get onto public television in other words it was called public access in Los Angeles where I was able to interview various uh, blacklisted screenwriters and I met Ah, these screenwriters that's exactly what I was going to get to I wanted to ask you how did you get from there from, uh, and I want to also mention that Stanley, uh, uh, besides being on TV as an actor, he uh, wrote for radio, television, and theater, and uh, ABC wrote for ABC Daytime Soaps. Right. And so, okay, so how did you get, is that how you wound up when you started hosting the Stanley Director Show? Is that how you started getting interesting, interested in the Hollywood blacklist because of these people who you were interviewing? Well, uh, it, it didn't happen that that easily right right away. My wife, Joyce, director, or uh, was on the Women's Committee of the Writers Guild of America where she was a uh, co-partner, I guess, on that committee with Norma Bosman. Norma Bosman was a blacklisted uh, screenwriter, was married to Ben Bosman, and uh, they had to flee the country because of the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee coming after them. Now, well, let's, let's, let's assume that my listeners or some of my listeners or even myself 
um, you know, don't know or don't remember or don't, you know, I mean, of course, I've heard of the Hollywood blacklist and sort of know in vague terms about it, but but could you start from the beginning as if we don't know anything? Like, <laughs> tell well, us about those times. Well, I, I'll tell you that, uh, let, let's get right to where the 1940s, and in the uh, around 1947, uh, they, the House on American Activities Committee had hearings uh, about uh, who the Reds were in Hollywood. They felt that uh, uh, much of Hollywood had been compromised by communists. Now, mind you, this is before Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy came in later on. Joe McCarthy never went to Hollywood. I, I, I want to make that. Uh, statement because a lot of people are under the uh, misconception that it was the McCarthyism. Sure, McCarthyism, uh, and the whole umbrella is called the McCarthy era, but it was actually HUAC, the acronym for House Un-American Activities Committee that started all of this kind of craziness. And it was HUAC that was able to get the Hollywood 10 in 1950, uh, actually 1948, they went to court with their attorneys, uh, people like uh, Herbert Biberman, uh, Andrew Popper, uh, Albert Moss, uh, Maltz, uh, Leslie Cole, Dalton Trumbo, uh, Ring Lardner Jr., etc. These were, I mean, these were the Hollywood Ten. There, there was the Hollywood Ten, and they were sent to prison. Adrian Scott was a member of the Hollywood Ten. He was sent to prison, so they served time in prison. So that was the beginning. Then well, they, and where did they? What did they? Uh, where did they get the idea that these people were communists? And what had they done that, um, you know, they qualified them for deserving this punishment? Where did this whole idea spring from? Well, some of them were communists. Oh, I mean, okay. they, they, they were communists, and they and but, uh, doctor, I must tell you. That at one time in the United States of America, the Communist Party was on the ballot. It was a law. You could either vote for the Communist Party, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, or also the progressives and socialists. Mm-hmm. It was all on the ballot. Uh, so that, that was the whole idea. These people, the, the Hollywood Ten, they went by the First Amendment, which gave you the right freedom of speech, freedom of right. the press, right? Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, obviously nobody was listening at the door, and, and, they, and they stood by their First Amendment rights. Many uh, movies were written by communists, however, not necessarily uh, putting in their pro- communism statements or whatever into the movies. They're writing scenarios. And so there was all this kind of, uh, kind of right-wing activity going on, which was disliked by, obviously, this committee, the House Un-American Activities Committee. And so people who, who leaned or were very liberal, and some, uh, mostly members of the Communist Party, uh, known as fellow travelers, uh, would have meetings, and they would discuss uh, the, the wrongs that America was doing at the time, 
Now, we're talking, we have to go back to the 30s and the 40s we're going to. The wrong that women were on the back shelf in America in the 30s and 40s, that minorities, blacks, uh, Asians, uh, American Indians, everybody was on the, on the back burner. Uh-huh. So, and, and so these folks were trying to get some equality on the playing field, but the playing field would not uh, allow that to happen. For instance, a fast example, Bernard Gordon, a, a blacklisted writer in my book, Shedding Light on a Hollywood Blacklist, uh, who has a couple of interviews in the book, Bernie said that he, uh, he wrote a black actor as a cab driver in one of his uh, screenplays, and the producers uh, said, why, why do you have this um, you know, black actor playing this cab driver? Our southern audiences will not like that. Mm. So, you know, like penciled out, and then they put in, you know, a white guy. Uh-huh. So, 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 I mean, and also, I, I must say, Bernard Gordon was one of the pioneers. Uh, his wife, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, was one of the founders of the uh, Hollywood Canteen. The Hollywood Canteen was where servicemen would come off duty or uh, come into town on liberty and they would be feted by movie stars such as John Garfield, people like that, and they'd be fed and they'd dance and this and that. And, and in one event, uh, a black soldier was dancing with a Caucasian hostess. Uh-huh. And there was a uh, military policeman who was a sadist who was able to get the black soldier into the men's room and beat the uh. crap out of him. Uh. And, and, and there were terrible things, and it was reported. That it was reported to Betty Davis, who was also a member of that Hollywood canteen, and she, her ire, she, they, they were totally upset. You know, these guys are going off the war to get killed, and they want to dance, and, mm. and it's strictly that kind of stuff. And so they complained about it, and uh, they say, uh, Bernard Gordon said, eventually uh, they kind of uh, put the uh, clamp on the uh, white military police officer, but that's what was happening in that era. In that era, in Hollywood, there were two unions for musicians. There was a black union, and there was a white union. Mm. So, I mean, so these people, these, I, I say these people who I met through my wife Joyce, and I was able to meet others on my own, they were idealists. Uh-huh. And so eventually I would start to interview these idealists. Huh. And, and, and much further to go. Okay, and, and this is a good place to take the next break. Um, we're talking about the Hollywood blacklist, the whole history. It's very, really very interesting. Obviously, uh, 
uh, you know, there's, we really need to be reminded of all of this, the details of all of this, and my guest, Stanley Director, is doing just that. Um, <laughs> his book is Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, Conversations with Participants. And we're talking about that, and we're going to be coming around to talking about does it exist today in some form or another. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Hollywood's blacklist. Uh, going back in history with my guest, Stanley Director, the author of Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, and that's exactly what he's been doing. So continue, Stanley. Well, I wanted to tell you, uh, Carol, and the audience, that uh, my guests primarily in my book were, were, for the most part, the second wave that the HUAC committee went after. The, the, since the Hollywood 10 were in prison, came out, it was still the the kind of thing of commies were in Hollywood and they were kind of going to, uh, you might say, uh, take over. Mm-hmm. This is what there was such paranoia. It was you know it was unbelievable, and I'd like to tell you a little tale, a major. <laughs> a major uh, anecdote about this. Uh-huh. Uh, according to my dear, lovely friend, uh, Norma Bosman, who is still writing, by the way, uh, she told me about a time when they, they were going to be having a meeting at her house. The communists were going to be having a meeting at her house. She lived up on Sunset Plaza Drive, which is... Uh, in the day, back in the day, in the in the fifties, it was really a wonderful location, which it still is now. And uh, there was a blonde lady who came up the hill and came over to uh, uh, Norma and her husband Ben and said, "The police are waiting down at the bottom of the hill, mm. at the bottom of Sunset Boulevard and Sunset Plaza Drive, to see." Who is going to go up to your place? They are questioning people. 
And that blonde lady happened to be Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I knew you were going to say that, huh? Wow. <laughs> young, so... A young Marilyn Monroe, Norma Jean. Yes, yeah, so Norma what Jean. happened? What happened? They kind of like packed up, according to Norma, and they kind of made their getaway or their dash, and it, and it didn't happen. Huh. But, but you know, they, they, in other words, they, they did come, but they, they could get nothing. And, and Norma Jean, Marilyn Monroe, chipped them off. So, but, but anyway, the second wave of uh, people, uh, one of my guests, Joan Scott, she was the second wife of Adrian Scott, who went to prison. Adrian Scott was a writer-producer, an attractive man, very sensitive person, and after his blacklist... He couldn't get a job in Hollywood, okay? Even though these people served their time, uh, Adrian just, he, he got a couple of things, but nothing really stuck. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, according to Joan, that killed him, and he died very, very young mm. after that. Mm. The, the guy who was working, who went to prison, but worked under pseudonyms, was Dalton Trumbo and another one of my guests. Uh, Dalton was not my guest, by the way. D- Dalton's family went to Mexico when they were blacklisted with uh, my guest, Jean Butler, Jean Ruberol Butler, who had been married to blacklisted screenwriter Hugo Butler. They both were MGM contract writers, and she was also an actress. That's how she came out to Hollywood, uh-huh. Jean Butler, who, or actually Jean Ruverol is her name now, but it was Jean Ruverol Butler, so uh-huh. married to Hugo. And they fell in love and all this kind of stuff, and uh, so when the HUAC was out to get them, they had to pack up and uh, with, with uh, Dalton Trumbo's wife, Cleo, they left for Mexico, where they were granted safe haven, by the way. There, there was uh, Norma Bosman and her husband, Ben. They also, by the way, the reason they fled, besides being communists, was the fact that they were to, to testify to name names, to name their friends, their comrades, mm. who were communists. And they did not want to do that. Mm. This was why uh, a motivation had occurred because, hey, I, you know, I can't look at you and, 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 and finger you and say you're a communist, went to the meetings, and then your whole family is going to go kaput. You're not going to be able to work anymore. They couldn't do that uh-huh. at a heart. So there were some that collaborated with HUAC. And it was a softball game. You know, I I could be at liberty and say who and what. Abraham Polanski continually groused about Ilya Kazan. Abe uh, did a couple of interviews with me. Abraham Lincoln Polanski. That was his middle name, Abraham Lincoln Polanski, (laughs) who also, by the way, was... um, uh, worked under a pseudonym where where he had actually where he had fronts. Most of us saw that movie that Woody Allen uh, did years ago called The Front, 
Well, written by Walter Bernstein, who was uh, uh, a blacklisted writer who also collaborated with Abraham Polanski on, uh, well, on You Are There, which used to be a CBS show, uh-huh. only they used pseudonyms. Uh, that was with Walter Cronkite. You are there. You're in Rome or whatever. But so let me get back to Polanski. Polanski wrote Body and Soul. He was nominated for an Academy Award. That starred John Garfield. Garfield liked his work so much that he had him direct the next film called Force of Evil. And uh, actually, Abraham Polanski started out as a lawyer for uh, the garment industry, and that's where he met Gertrude Berg, who asked him to write her show, uh, her radio show, and uh, which I guess they're doing a TV version of that show in a way today. The Goldbergs. There, there was a show years ago called The Goldbergs. Yeah. And uh, A. Polanski wrote for that show. That's how he got started. Even though he was. Uh, a, a lawyer, and then he quit law, I guess, and and was such a clever, bright, witty person. And and so, whenever I would interview him, he first of all, that's a story in itself. I had to go to his uh, Beverly Hills condo. Uh, to meet with him. First, I called and this and that. We spoke a little on the phone. I told him I'd like to like you to be on my show. Went over to his place, and he said, why should I do a show with you? I, oh, I, 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 first, I walked through the door of this real nice place. I saw the Rualt painting on the wall. I said, oh, a Rualt, you know? I figured maybe I'd impress him. Uh-huh. And then uh, we sat in his living room, and, and then he started to give me the negatives you know, who are you? I mean, I said, well, I'm, you know, Stanley Director. You know, I got this uh, uh, public access cable show, and uh, I interviewed writers and actors. Uh, you know, I interviewed Mel Shavelson, Hal Cantor, um, you know, people like that. And he said, well, uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I've done a lot of interviews in my life. You know, I, I teach at USC. I'm a film writing, and I do this, and I do that. I, I, don't, I don't want to do a show. I said, come on, I said, hey, give the troops a break for crying out loud. Sure, I'm not Charlie Rose, but at least, come on. You know, people want to know about your story. And he looks at me and he says, you know something? You talk just like me. Huh? You're from New York. Huh? You're from, I'm from the Lower East Side. You're from Brooklyn. All right, I'll do your show. <laughs> so, so, I mean, but, but we, uh, I, I'm giving you the sanitized version <laughs> of the conversation. Yeah, okay? Thank you. So, so then uh, on the first show, there was a very attractive director there, and he kind of liked it. No, he kind of liked the show. Okay, uh, I said, uh, Abe, would you like to do another show? He said, Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Only we did it at another place <laughs> where that very, very pretty young lady was. Abe was uh, probably at that time about 87, 86, something like that. And he was a vibrant gentleman and told me how uh, he happened to get body and soul, and how he happened to be blacklisted, Sterling Hayden. Well, he, wait, I, I, I want to make sure we get some things out before we run out of time. Um, so basically, uh, 
you know, this this went on for how many years? This it was it was a um, a search and destroy mission. You know, destroying people's lives essentially. How many years did this? When did this go on? From when to when? Uh, when to when? Well, I think it might still be going on now in a different way. Well, yeah, I want to get to that. But well, the, you, the one you, that, you, that we've been talking about in terms of communism, you know, and it's so interesting that this whole issue of um, First Amendment versus, you know, what people don't like people to say. I mean, <laughs> there was just something recently on the news about uh, a guy, Trudeau, Kevin Trudeau. Did you read about that? Um, he he was a he did a lot of infomercials and he had a diet book and I think he had some other books about natural foods and so on or natural health and um, he just got ten years in prison because um, the government claimed that he was saying things in his infomercials that weren't backed up in his books. I mean, it really seems a bit uh, over the top to get 10 I mean, there are lots of people who, uh, lots of commercials, advertising in general exaggerates, and it just seems like there is something more going on here and, and that the First Amendment should be applying to that as well. Um, so oh, it's, it's interesting that there's still, for, you know, that, that over the years the issue of, of what, even though we all have, we have the First Amendment, um, the interpretation of the First Amendment rights seems to change over the years and, and seems to focus on different kinds of topics that people don't like or somebody doesn't like. Well, it did change. The second wave that was called before UAC had to take the Fifth Amendment. You understand? In other words, they realized the lawyers for the First Amendment people that all got sent to jail had, had kind of uh, got together and said, wait a minute, the First Amendment nobody's respecting. You take the Fifth Amendment. Mm. So, so it, the Fifth Amendment is I refuse to answer on the grounds that it, uh, you know, it may, may incriminate me. me yes. okay? So they were taking, the ones that went before the UAC committee were taking the Fifth. Mm. Although some... Uh, some didn't, didn't testify, but uh, like Robert Lees, who used to write Abbott and Costello movies and was considered a threat against the United States government. Oh, that drove me crazy. You know, that this beautiful, sweet guy is a threat. He writes Abbott and Costello movies. He and his partner, uh, Fred Rinaldi. Anyway, Fred did not go with Robert Lees to the HUAC hearings. Uh, Robert went by himself. And <clears throat> if we have a moment, I will say that, sure. yeah. that, that that Sterling Hayden named Abe Polonsky and Robert Lees. And then I will tell you when we come back from the break, Sterling Hayden's apology. Okay. And we need to take another break. The time is going really quickly. My guest is Stanley Director. His book is Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, Conversations with Participants. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're talking about the Hollywood Blacklist. Does it exist today? And we're going to get to that. My guest is Stanley Director. He's the author of Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist, Conversations with Participants. And before the break, you mentioned that you were going to be talking about somebody's apology, but I want to do that really quickly because I want to get to Hollywood today. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I just want to say that Sterling Hayden, after he had testified uh, and, and named names before HUAC, House on American Activities Committee, later on in his life, he was haunted by his conscience for ruining people's mm. lives, and he wrote a book, uh, which slips my mind now, but he wrote a book, and he apologized for being an idiot mm. and for being a stoolie. Okay. And that's that. that now, that's... you're talking about the, the, the blacklist today? Yes. I want to, uh, I, before you tell us about it, I, I want to mention something in, in, um, this, in the March 17th issue of the National Enquirer, and every time I mention something about the National Enquirer, I feel I have to apologize for it, but I need to say I did a column in the National Enquirer for a year called Hollywood on the Couch, and um, I can tell you that lawyers for the National Enquirer went over every single word uh, that I wrote. So, you know, people like to make fun of this paper, but, you know, it's one of the few, <laughs> it's one of the few bastions of First Amendment rights that, that still exists. So, on this edition, there's the cover of it says, Obama at war with Hollywood, why he wants to destroy your favorite stars and how, who else is on paranoid Prez's hiss list, and uh, how Putin made Obama look like a fool. Well, um, we'll leave Putin out of it for right now, but um, <laughs> the uh, Obama attacks enemies. And it, the article talks about how, um, and it's interesting, of course, now with uh, all that's going on in Russia, this, what we're talking about is particularly relevant, but um, Obama has, has targeted um, a list of conservatives in Hollywood and who he considers enemies. It says he's become obsessed with conservative celebrities he considers enemies and is sicking the tax man on him. This is how he's trying to destroy them. It's not about, you know, like the original blacklist, it's not about uh, making them not work anymore necessarily, although I guess if he makes them bankrupt, but it's, it's about uh, sicking the tax, tax man on him. And at the top of the list are Kelsey Grammer, Pat Boone, Gary Sinise, John Voigt, and others. 
and they are particularly um, targeting an organization that has 1,500 members called Friends of Abe, named after America's first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. And it's just like what you were talking about, you know, with, uh, with the Communist Party. I mean, it's, they're not, it's obviously the opposite of Communist Party, but, but in terms of meetings, you know, the police uh, scrutinizing who goes to these meetings, that's exactly what's happening. Um, they are scrutinizing these people and singling them out for the uh, IRS to go after. And some, a White House insider says, Barack doesn't have to say a word to IRS officials when he complains long and loud about certain celebrities who have made him furious by opposing him. They know what to do. So um, what do you think about all that? Uh, what I think I don't like, uh, if, if all of these things are true, okay, uh, I don't like it. I mean, I, I don't think anybody should infringe on the rights of American citizens to speak their mind and to be who they are. That's, uh, uh, that's an affirmative. As I personally believe that women should have their own rights. Mm-hmm. That means don't mess around with them. Okay. Okay. So, well, what, what were you, let's hear from um, your point of view as far as, uh, what you see as the current today's blacklist. Do you know today's black? I, I want to tell you something. There is another Hollywood blacklist, but this is a Hollywood blacklist that screenwriters are dying to get on. Uh-huh. That's right. It is a commercial blacklist that uh, a gentleman, a entrepreneur created. And these are, I, I, the beginnings of them were the hundred best unproduced screenplays in Hollywood. And he dubbed that the Hollywood blacklist. And oh. so I, I went to a couple of my uh, participants who were in my book. By the way, uh, people in my book were people like Marsha Hunt and uh, Norma Bosman, uh, etc. And I, I went to my participants and I told them about this new blacklist uh, where, it, where everybody wanted to get on. And they were really irked. Mm. And so I, I did not carry the issue further because I respect my, 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 fellow, my fellows mm-hmm. too much. And also they're of a fragility at this particular time mm-hmm. in life. Uh, as I am, Fragile, so they didn't okay? like they didn't like the way that 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 name was sort of usurped to mean something different, to mean something positive. You know, given that their their lives were ruined because of the original blacklist. Exactly. Um, you know, there are also blacklists uh, besides. You know, there are personal blacklists. I mean, I'm sure you know that studios, movie studios, television studios, and so on, um, particular directors, casting agents, um, writer, well, producers, um, you know, have certain people who they if, they, if if on a personal level, people have uh, done something that they didn't like, or maybe it is some, someone who's talked about something that they didn't like, um, they, you know, it's not necessarily one united blacklist like, uh, back in the day, but they have their own blacklist that they circulate amongst their friends. 
they they do have a blacklist, and uh, I, I, I they call it a gray list. Uh, so that, you know, you can interchange that thing, and it, uh, it deals with older writers primarily, and older actors, I might add, and just plain older people in the business. You know, the show business, so to speak, in Hollywood has become more of a youth biz. So uh, older people uh, are gray listed. They don't get in to do their meetings. There was also uh, a, uh, a an award given to older writers. The, see, the Writers Guild sued uh, these various uh, production companies because of that uh, ageism thing, and also agencies, big Hollywood agencies were sued, and uh, and the Writers Guild won. And, and so... Uh, a certain amount of writers who got on that, uh, uh, you might say, on that uh, trial, uh, got paid. It never did. Obviously, it never did go to trial. You know, so there was a, a payout. Settlement, yeah. Yeah, settlement so, negotiation. So do, do you but, think that that has changed? That that since that suit, um, even after you know, especially I I, I know uh, that there was a lot of money paid out. Uh, so do you think that that experience? Um, has caused studios to to think twice about that, to be more uh, careful about that. Do you I think they're hiding it better, or do you think they're not doing it as much? I, you know, I, here, here's the thing: being a writer, uh, you can always disguise yourself in some way. Uh, but and if you can get, write an original screenplay where nobody knows who the hell you are or hmm. what, you can get away with it. A writer can get away with it. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 have to use your wits in this world. I learned that from the boys back in Brooklyn. <laughs> and, and so I carry that with me. I say, wait a minute, am I an idiot? I'm not going to tell them who I am. I, actually, I'm so t- ticked off at the Internet where everybody knows everything about you and there's no more <laughs> privacy. I'm just, I mean, it just burns my tail. You know, <laughs> when I, yeah. you know, I was offered a part. Uh, an acting part, but but uh, uh, and they wanted a grumpy old man, and, and they cast me in it as a grumpy old man. Okay, so but but you know, I mean, I mean, it's uh, gray listing is there. People would use fronts. I say you and I were collaborators. I take you in as uh, my niece. I would say you, you. No, she's the main writer. I'm just along just for the. For the ride, I'm trying to get the credit. Uh-huh, okay, so uh-huh. so that's how you disguise things. You would have a front with you. Actually, it's a front with you, but you would work with that person. But you need somebody else to get you in there because they don't want to deal with older people. You know, we're out of where. Even though there is a, a nice bite of an audience in seniors, they Hollywood just is into youth. That's it, youth, youth, youth. You, mm-hmm. you look at things there, and there are some a couple of beautiful remembrance films. Oh my goodness! Oh, right. can I? Can I? Can I? Well, let uh, me let me do it for you. Um, yeah, I, I, we just got a signal that uh, we need to close up the show, and I want to make sure that I can give out um, Stanley Directors, my guest uh, website, so that you can find out more about him and what he's doing in this book, shedding light on the Hollywood blacklist. Conversations with Participants. It has a foreword by Ed Asner. Um, obviously, you can get that where books are sold and on Amazon and so on, barnesandnoble.com. Um, but Stanley's uh, website is stanleydirector.com. And again, the, the name director is spelled D Y 
R-E-C-T-O-R, stanleydirector.com. And also, if you want to meet Stanley, you can come to the L.A. Um, to book the Fest. L.A. Times Book Festival and take it from here. April 12th and 13th, I'm going to have a two-hour slot at least on a Saturday and a Sunday. So, uh, booth 913. And, yes, and it's the uh, Southern California... Yeah, book, book, book show. And uh, also, uh, you will, I'll be happy to autograph the book. And also, I have another play, by the way, that I did with my wife called Marilyn Monroe and Phil. Oh, Just that in sounds case. good. That sounds good. So, yeah, that's about a true story about Marilyn Monroe. But Shedding Light on the Hollywood Blacklist is a very important piece, and I hope you guys read it. And I hope, Carol, that I didn't ruin our career. I hope that I didn't screw it all up for you. <laughs> no, you didn't screw it up. You won't be on my blacklist. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you. Uh, thank you so much for being on and telling us about this. And you know what? It's... it's uh, uh, something that is still a problem um, today in in so many different ways, blacklists and and the I, the whole First Amendment is being threatened, um, you know, continues to be threatened in so many different arenas. So this is really important stuff to not forget. Thank you. We, I appreciate that. We You're must welcome. protect. Uh, we must protect our First Amendment rights, ladies and gentlemen, and yes. kids. Yes. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. You know on this show I take full advantage of my First Amendment rights. I wonder if Obama has me targeted. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 